what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Hello and welcome to the caregiver community where we are holding conversations about the challenges as well as the joys of caring for our aging parents and for ourselves. My name is Jane Everson. I'm here with my co-host Frances Hall. How are you today, Frances? Hi, Jane. I'm fine. Great. Frances and I are just two of the millions of adults in the United States. In fact, millions of adults worldwide who are caring for aging parents, other family members, as well as caring for ourselves. Today, we'll be talking about the impact of our aging population on the United States, as well as some strategies for promoting aging in place. Our guest today is Dr. Ed Rosenberg. Welcome to the caregiver community, Ed, and thanks for being with us today. Thank you, Jane Francis. Pleasure to be here. Dr. Rosenberg is professor of sociology and director of the graduate programs in gerontology and sociology at Appalachian State University in Boone, North Carolina. He received his Ph.D. in sociology from the University of Southern California. His gerontological research has been widely published, and he is a member of numerous state and national organizations addressing the impact of aging. Past and current research topics include the aging of the prison population, eating disorders among middle-aged and older women, media images of aging and elderly self-esteem, and caregiver empowerment. I have to say these are all topics that I hope we can do some future podcasts about. Several of them sound quite interesting. Mm -hmm. But I think for our listeners, not only is Dr. Rosenberg clearly an academic expert on aging, but like Francis and me and our listeners, he too, along with his siblings, is the adult child of aging parents. Ed, I've heard you speak about the coming crisis in elder care. Can you help us better understand why our aging population is creating a crisis? Well, this comes about for a number of reasons. As I think everybody knows by now, the American older population is beginning to grow at an unprecedented rate. The reason is that the baby boom generation, people born after World War II between 1946 and 1964, are starting to turn 65, entering the traditional old age years. And they're uh, turning 65 at the rate of about 10,000 per day. That's a lot of people, and that's going to continue for another 18 years. So we know uh, that we're going to have many, many more older people than we currently have. Uh, We can predict that fairly accurately. In addition, we see that uh, families are having fewer children. Birth rates are going down, and uh, what we call total fertility, the number of children a family ends up with, is going down. Uh, In addition to that, people are waiting longer to have their children. So what used to be a family tree is now being called a family beanpole. There's more (laughs) space between generations, and there are fewer members in each generation. When we put this in a caregiving context, what that means is there will be many, many more older people who will need care. There will be fewer adult children to care for them. And those adult children uh, will be uh, more distant in age from the way they used to be. The final uh, piece of this puzzle is that uh, government support for elder care programs has not really been increasing. Since the 1980s, there's been a trend for the government to uh, not increase Uh, its funding and its programs and services for older people. Of course, with the more recent recession, uh, 
uh, we've seen the same kind of consequence. So if there is a coming crisis in elder care, it's because we're going to have many, many more older people, fewer adult children to care for them, and no increase in programs and services to help these adult children care for their aging family members. That's sort of one of those moons and stars and planets all lining up in a not good way, isn't it? Yeah. Talk about, if you will, please, some of the numbers, some of the statistics that we're looking at relative to our state of North Carolina, but even the nation as a whole. Well, currently the nation has about 13% of its population age 65 and over. The baby boom is going to jump that to about 20 or 21 percent. It really depends on how many uh, children younger people have. I think that's a terrible reason to tell young people to have lots of kids. So, oh, they can support your, your aging parents and grandparents. Uh, but that will uh, affect how many, uh, the percentage of older people in this country. To give you an idea uh, of what this will look like uh, by 2020, North Carolina will have about one in five of its residents age 65 and over, about 20%. Uh, if you've been to Florida and noticed that Florida has a lot of older people, Florida only has about 17% elderly right wow. now. Wow. So when all the North Carolinian baby boomers have turned 65, uh, we will look older than Florida does now. So uh, that's one piece of the puzzle. In addition, North Carolina is, uh, with the exception of a few urban areas and the military bases, we are a rural state. And delivering services to anybody in rural areas is more difficult and more expensive. People live farther apart. Uh, there are additional transportation costs. Uh, If you're up in the mountains, uh, winter weather can wreak havoc with service delivery. So these are some of the changes that are going on in North Carolina. The state is going to age very rapidly uh, with the baby boomers. Uh, North Carolina is a hugely popular retirement destination state. Our in-migration of retirees uh, is almost right up there with Florida's. And for now, this is a good thing. We like to have Older people move into North Carolina. Why? If they can afford to move, they can afford to buy a house. That will pay property taxes. Their children are launched, so we don't have to worry about them going to public schools uh, or being juvenile delinquents. So we like to have them come in here. But around age 75, whether you're a seventh-generation North Carolinian or a recent in-migrant, everybody's needs converge on health care. So I would think that in about 10 years there's going to be a, a serious health care crisis in North Carolina in terms of how do we provide everything that our older population needs. How is North Carolina relative to the rest of the country in terms of providing care and, and services for, um, for the aging population? Well, we have a, uh, a very good and active division of aging and adult services in Raleigh, uh, some high-quality people there. Uh, At this time, as you know, North Carolina has politically taken a swing to the right, and we don't really know what the governor and the legislature are going to do in terms of funding levels for health and human services, and aging is part of that. That's always a concern, is being a baby boomer, what is going to happen in the future? And how is the United States in, re- in relation to the rest of the world? The United States, of course, is, is very concerned about the growth of its older population overlapping with the economy 
in general. We know we're going to have a lot more older people. We have Social Security, which is a wonderful economic support program for older people. And we have Medicare, which provides various types of health care for older people. Some of that is free. Some of that you pay a premium, just like you would for other kinds of health insurance. And if older people are poor, they can also qualify for Medicaid. So at the uh, federal and federal state levels, we have good economic and health care support for older people. Still, we're very concerned about this because Social Security and Medicare are very expensive programs. Other countries are facing the same kinds of challenges, but in many countries those challenges are uh, arriving more quickly and they're more serious. The reason is that birth rates in many other countries, particularly in Western Europe and some Asian nations, are below replacement levels. Uh, less than two children per family on average. And this means if that were to continue for 60 years or so, then the population would begin to decline. When you have low birth rates, you have fewer children to take care of their aging parents. Another difficulty uh, in some nations, um, and I've done some work in Thailand, is that they're not only very rural nations, but they don't have develop systems of support for older people. They don't have the kind of Social Security and Medicare that we have here. So in many developing nations, support for older people is almost entirely family-based with very little government support. And as people live longer, as there are fewer children, and when people live longer, we're going to see a a great increase in dementia, which is a very difficult uh, condition for families to deal with. You're going to see more and more families taking on more and more of this burden. In other nations, in Western European nations, for instance, you often have a more socialized form of medicine than we have here. France, for example, has almost cradle-to-grave medical care. And the French pay high taxes for this, but in return, they don't have to worry about health care. It's guaranteed to everyone. But these nations did not anticipate the aging of their populations. And older people run up a disproportionate share of health care bills. So this cradle-to-grave health care is becoming uh, more and more difficult for these European nations to accommodate. Essentially, almost every country in the world is aging and is going to age at an increasingly rapid rate. So the problems that we see here in America are problems that all nations will face in one way or another. Wow. These are these are truly mind-boggling numbers, Ed, and hard to, to wrap our minds around. L- let's try to bring it down to a kind of a, a micro level, if you will. Is there any such thing as a typical adult child caregiver? That's the population, of course, that Francis and I represent and and believe that adult children play a a significant and and growing role in caring for their parents. Is, Is there some typical characteristic that we look like? Well, before I answer that, let me let me start first by denying it, and then and then I'll answer it. I'm I'm reminded of uh, my father, who's a retired mathematics professor. When he retired, someone from the student newspaper came to interview him, and said, uh, uh, "Professor Rosenberg, what's the average math professor like?" And he said, "Well, there is no average math professor. There are some mean math professors, but there's no average math professor." Oh, oh, oh ouch. <laughs> Now, I hope there are no mean adult children who are caregivers out there, uh, but it's very difficult to say what the, what the average one is like. I, you know, I can give you some statistics. I can say about two-thirds of 
uh, elder care providers are women. Uh, I can say that the average age uh, is about 63 for these caregivers. I can say that about a third of them are caring for two or more people. Uh, but at the same time, these are aggregate statistics, and if you're sitting there listening or thinking about your own particular situation, it may not apply directly to you, and it, it may not even be consequential for you. Let me ask a question, though, because a lot of the statistics talk about um, the average caregiver certainly being female, but more like 47 to 49 years old. Your figure is a little older. So this, what you're really saying are, uh, is that the people who are actually caring for aging parents, that this is the 63-year-old, if you look just at that population, correct? Well, I'm, I'm not looking... Uh only at that population, so I may have under, okay. misunderstood okay. the question. Uh, what I'm thinking about is people who provide elder care for family members. So right. within that group, we would have not just adult children, but also the spouses right. Right. of older people. Uh, and, of course, it, that will inflate the figure sure. okay. above just okay. adult okay. children. Just wanted to get that out. You, you've talked a bit about this, Ed, but what is the what is the future impact going to be on businesses and municipalities uh, if we do something or if we don't do something? Well, for, for starters, uh, and I tell my students this, because the population is aging and because most of that aging is driven by the baby boomers, who, despite the economic downturn, are disproportionately wealthy and disproportionately in denial about their aging, they are going to want to age gracefully, and they're going to be able to pay for it. And I tell my students, your future depends on your ability to take the baby boomers' money from them. And I can say that with a clear conscience, being a baby boomer myself. But every business, almost every business, uh, every endeavor is going to have to take into account a, an increasingly elderly uh, consumer population. If you work in the restaurant business, older people don't see so well. So dim lighting is romantic, but it's not functional for older people. Uh, loud music and uh, dining areas that aren't soundproofed uh, make for a busy place, but for the most part, hearing aids are still equal opportunity amplifiers. They can't tell my voice from the kitchen clatter. Uh, so older people like quieter places. They like bigger fonts on the menu. Uh, and this is just if you go into the restaurant. So lots of subtle shifts in our services business. that we may not even be aware of. Proactive businesses need to think about their demographic 10 and 15 years down the road. Another example is the automotive industry. Uh, we're doing wonderful things with electronics and automotive engineering. Uh, we have backup cameras. We have um, uh, computerized uh, mirrors and sensors that eliminate blind spots that help you park and so on. And these are wonderful uh, safety ideas and some of them are luxury items. Many of them are really developed to, to help older drivers stay on the road. Detroit knows the population is aging. Detroit wants to keep selling cars. Detroit is going to have to increasingly sell cars to older people. But if they put in some of these features that make it easier for older people to keep driving, and if they said to you, Francis, I know you're going to want this car because it's built for an old person like you. Are you going to buy it? I'm going to scream. No, of course. <laughs> That's my mom, not me. Yeah, exactly. There's no way you're going to buy it. But if, but if we said this eliminates a blind spot and this will keep you from backing up over your grandchild, you know, then you might 
buy it. Yeah. So it's not good example. You know, it's not just businesses that deal with older people. It's not just uh, long-term care facilities. It's not just uh, adult services that need to anticipate the aging of the population and how to accommodate for that. It's almost every type of business. But this sounds like the baby boomer generation, that because of us, we now have fast food, drive-through restaurants, and and the, uh, then we got a little older and we had children, and so then we have the jungle gym stuff out front. It's the baby boomer population that continues to create a need for change. The, the baby boomers do this, but we need to realize that while the baby boomers are accelerating the rate of aging in the American population, when we baby boomers all die off, the problem isn't going, the, the challenges aren't going to end. We're not going to revert to a society with 12 or 13 percent elderly. A larger older population is one of the uh, markers of an advanced society. And since healthcare has advanced, we know more about diet, nutrition, exercise, stress reduction. We know all a lot more about ways to increase longevity. So the baby boomers may pump our older population up to 21, maybe even 22%. But when they all die off, we're still going to be an old population. We'll settle in somewhere around 18 or 19 or 20%. But that's on a percentage basis, about half again as high as what we Still have today. We are always going to be an old society from now on. You can't get mm. away from it. Uh, and one of the um, uh, implications of this is we need to introduce um, gerontological awareness or gerontological literacy into our school curricula starting in the elementary grades. We need children to develop positive images mm of older people in general. We don't have a problem with grandparents. You know, you ask, and I can even ask my undergraduate students, tell me about older people, and they'll say, well, my grandparents are old, I love them, and everybody else is a demented drooler in a nursing home. <laughs> so we still have to overcome that, and I think starting in the elementary grades is the place to do that. Good example. Interesting, very interesting. Baseball is back, and the Hickory Crawdads have an exciting season ahead. Join the dads for weekly promotions such as Dollar Day, Fireworks Fridays, and of course, Thirsty Thursday. The Crawdads will also host the South Atlantic League All-Star Game on June 17th. Regular season and All-Star Game tickets are now on sale and available at the Crawdads box office or hickorycrawdads.com. Well, what a great segue. You've talked some um, about active aging. So talk a little more about what that means, what that looks like. What is the goal of active aging? Well, I'd be happy to. Uh, One of uh, the goals of uh, gerontologists is to understand the aging process. But another goal, one that appeals particularly to applied gerontologists myself, is to optimize uh, the live, what we call the lived experience of aging, uh, to help people age as gracefully, as com- comfortably, as successfully as possible. So over the years, we've used different terms to refer to this, and the current term is active aging. Uh, this is a concept that's being used internationally uh, by the World Health Organization, as well as here in the United States by groups like AARP. And 
So the, the goal of active aging is to help people age optimally from a physiological point of view in terms of their health, their body, to help them age optimally um, mentally, psycho-emotionally, and also socially in terms of their uh, social activities and other kinds of activities. So when we look at active aging, we consider things like the extent to which people have access to the health and social services that they need. Can they get there? Can they afford those services? What are the quality of those services? Uh, We look at personal characteristics, um, as simple as are you male or female? Uh, We can look at racial, cultural kinds of variations. We look at behavioral determinants of aging, such as diet, exercise, smoking, drinking, other things. We always come back to those, don't we? (laughs) Lifestyle factors. Well, smoking and drinking are popular popular topics, if not popular behaviors, Mm -hmm. in America. And we look at the physical environment, especially what we call the built environment, uh, how homes are built and whether or not that accommodates some of the changes we can often anticipate with aging and whether communities are built to anticipate uh, an aging population. Uh, We look at social determinants such as activities. Uh, How easy is it for older people to engage in social activities in their communities? Can they physically get there? Because we're not yet, uh, we don't yet quite have a Skype-savvy older generation. Mm -hmm. We'll be there in a few years. But older people still like to go places where they can physically interact with other older people. Certainly the church is a huge support here. And then there are economic determinants. Uh, Now, again, because we have Social Security for older people, American elderly have a relatively low poverty rate compared to older people in other countries. And in fact, poverty rate uh, has been brought down by Social Security to about uh, 9%, about where the overall poverty rate is in America. But without Social Security, it would probably be 35 or 40%. Social Security is a tremendously important program for older people. So all of these factors figure into active aging, and then uh, we filter that through culture, because some Elements of active aging are acceptable in one culture but not in another. And we also tend to filter it through gender uh, because there are so many differences between men and women, whether those are biologically based or culturally based, uh, that it makes sense to take gender into consideration as well. I've also heard you, Ed, use the um, model person environment. What does that have to do with aging? Well, the person environment model is a theory that tries to explain why people are or are not aging successfully in their environment. And it has, it has two key elements. The first is uh, what resources can the individual use to cope with his or her environment. Uh, resources are used in a very broad sense here. For instance, your physical abilities are a resource. Whether or not you can climb stairs makes a difference. Uh, whether or not you can have your vision corrected makes a difference. Whether or not you can have your hearing corrected makes a difference. So uh, resources can be physical. They can also be financial. Uh, if you can't uh, pay for an in-home aid, if you can't pay for glasses, if you can't pay for a hearing aid. 
Resources can also be informal supports like friends and family, people from your church who can drive you to a doctor's appointment. So anything that you can use to successfully cope with your environment we consider a resource and it contributes to how competent you are in coping with your environment. Opposing that competence is what we call the environmental press and this is the pressure that your environment puts on you, the, the obstacles to active aging, to functioning successfully. So the environmental press can include elements of your house. Uh, are there stairs that are more difficult to climb? Is it difficult to climb the stairs to get into your house? Might a ramp make that easier? Is the lighting sufficient? Uh, if you have arthritis, turning a round doorknob can be very difficult because you can't grip it. So can we have lever doorknobs instead? Uh, the environmental press can also be an economic press. It can also be uh, a social press or a mobility press. If you can't drive anymore, how, do you, how do you get places? Huge. All kinds of aspects of the environment can create pressure uh, to oppose successful aging. So what we do with this person environment model is we compare the person's competence and resources to the pressure of their environment. And we see if the person has sufficient resources to keep the person's competence level high enough to cope with the pressures of the environment. If there's an imbalance, then there are two things that we can change to bring the environment and the personal competence back into balance. One is we can increase someone's competence. And sometimes we can do this. Uh, we can improve the person's health. We can get the person uh, to start an exercise program. But often as people age, uh, they lose competence to do certain things and those, those losses probably cannot be recovered. What we then need to do is reduce the environmental press, adapt the environment so it's easier for the person to live with. And there are many ways, for example, that uh, you could modify your home to make it easier for an older person to live, to make it less likely to, that the older person will fall, to reduce the fall risk, to improve lighting, to improve mobility, to make sure that accidents won't happen in the kitchen, uh, to make the bathroom safer and easier to negotiate. A lot of things can be done in the home, and while some of these can be expensive, many are very inexpensive and will allow the person to live in the home longer than he or she normally could. So really, overall, a very positive model. You try to increase the resources that the person brings to their home while decreasing the obstacles instead of saying from the get-go, there's an imbalance, the person has to move. Well, I'd like to say it's a positive model. It's it may be a little more accurate to say it's an analytical model. Mm -hmm. It will show you where the imbalance comes from. And ideally, that will give you some clues as to how to restore balance. Most of us uh, feel that aging in place is a goal worth pursuing. Uh, almost all older people want to stay in their homes as long as possible. Uh, there are situations when an older person shouldn't stay in his or her home any longer. But most people want to stay. And in most cases, that can be done. Uh, institutionalizing an older person should not be done prematurely. And making some modifications to the home environment, perhaps introducing some new social activities, uh, perhaps accessing resources that the person hadn't been using, whether it's people from church, whether it's people from uh, the community, a social service agency. Uh, these things can help maintain that person environment balance and help an older person stay home probably longer than many people thought the person mm -hmm. could. 
And I like the idea, it sounds like, of involving your aging parent or your aging spouse or whoever it might be in that equation. So they're really part of making the assessments and making the decision about what works. People are resources, absolutely. But is there a place, uh, there's lots and lots of material out there, but is there a place that someone could go online, for example, and really kind of look at a checklist uh, or is this, you know, pieces of information in a variety of places? Well, there are places that I would recommend. Certainly, AARP is a great place to start for almost anything uh, to do with issues of aging. Uh, the AARP website is just www.aarp.org. Uh, and you can find a tremendous amount of resources there, including checklists for home modifications. Now, what do I need to look at uh, to be sure that my aging parent's home is as safe as possible and that will give me advice on uh, how to improve the safety and the livability of that home? Uh, what kinds of community resources might be available? AARP uh, is very good for that as well. What kinds of things do I need to ask if I'm thinking, or if my aging parent is thinking of moving into an assisted living facility or a nursing home? What kinds of questions should I be asking? AARP has lists of those. So I would certainly suggest looking at that website. There's uh, also a website for aging parents and elder care. It's aging-parents-and-elder-care.com. Uh, for people who are concerned about dementia, the Alzheimer's Association, I believe, is the best place to start, www.alz.org. And then uh, if you have a parent who's aging uh, at a distance, uh, if you're in Hickory and your parent is in Portland, Oregon. Or Northern Virginia, right, Jane? Or, right. or Northern Virginia. Uh, or Mars. But that would be Mars, Pennsylvania, where I used to live. Uh, the government has an elder care locator, so if, if you want to find a geriatric care manager uh, or an in-home aide for your parent who lives across the country, uh, you can go to eldercare, all one word, dot gov. Start there as well. Good information. Good. Thank you. Good. Ed, we've, um, we've talked about a lot of topics today. Is there anything that we haven't covered or any words of wisdom you would like to leave us with? Well, maybe a few things here. One is that uh, for adult children who are concerned about caring for aging parents, one of the books that has gotten the best response from my students and others over the years is a book called How to Care for Aging Parents. It's written by Virginia Morris, and uh, it costs less than $20. It's a big paperback, and it covers just about everything uh, that you could want. Um, I guess I'd also recommend that it's nice to try to maintain a perspective. Caregiving is terribly taxing. Uh, it's terribly fatiguing physically, emotionally, perhaps financially. Uh, you need to, if you're a caregiver, you need to take care of yourself because you're not going to do anybody any good if you're sick, uh, if you can't function. So if you get sick, uh, don't be afraid to ask others for help. Ask others to fill in while you're getting better. Uh, don't worry, your parents can live without you being there 24-7. Uh, and I would also recommend that uh, you try to keep a sense of humor about all, all of this. 
there are a lot of funny things that happen, and so there are a lot of funny things that happen in intergenerational caregiving. Sometimes those things are funny when they happen. Sometimes they're crises when they happen, and they're not funny until afterwards when the crisis has passed and been dealt with and you're able to sit back and wipe your brow and say, oh, my God, I never thought something like that could happen. Uh, But if we can uh, look at some of these things in a humorous way, I think that'll help us cope as well. Good point. Great, thank you. Wonderful advice and some great resources. Several of those resources are currently on our website, and Francis will tell you about that in a moment. Others aren't, but we'll make sure we get them on there in the next couple of days so that um, some of the things Ed talked about you can have access to. Thank you, Ed, for being with us today. This has been a wonderful podcast. And thanks to everyone for listening to the caregiver community. Francis and I hope you've enjoyed, as well as learned, something about caregiving and caregivers today. This program is part of the MESH network of online shows and podcasts. You may learn more about the MESH and check out the other programs available for free at www.themesh.tv. On that site, you may also send us a button or a recommendation for future show topics using the Contact Us button. We also encourage you to find us on Apple iTunes, where you may subscribe to our show and make sure you receive all future episodes. You'll find a link to the MeSH website on our ACAP community website. Francis, can you tell people more about where to go for ACAP? Absolutely. For ACAP to check out the resources that Ed has talked about and others, and just to learn more about what we are doing, our website is www.acapcommunity.com, and that's ACAP, the initials for Adult Children of Aging Parents. Uh, So www.acapcommunity.com. You can call us toll-free at 1-877-599-ACAP. That's 877-599-2227. Or you could email us at info at acapcommunity.com. So all kinds of ways to get in touch. Thank you. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.